0: and welcome to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Today we are joined uh, by my good friend James Hickey, who is a guy I met in the music industry, one of the nicest guys in the music industry. And um, he's a guy who is a music journalist, who has written a lot of fascinating cover stories over the years for the legendary Kerrang! magazine, and he also does great work for Age UK, which is a brilliant organisation that helps older people on a daily basis within the UK. And he has joined me today to discuss... Well, quite a lot of things in the end, mainly we go into uh, where Rise of Skywalker left many people, wondering what would happen next and how certain people felt about that particular film. But also we go into a great discussion about the future of cinema and reboots and remakes with the latest news on the Snyder Cut and various other reboot ideas of films that probably shouldn't get a reboot. So without further ado, here is the latest episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Uh, Interesting topic today that obviously you have picked, which is if the Rise of Skywalker is the most diversive Star Wars film to be made so far and that includes I guess all the standalone ones that have been made what was your maybe not initial reaction but overall reaction because you I mean you might have seen it more than once I don't know but what is your reaction to the film itself I think the main
1: thing you're talking about you know what was my reaction after the film having seen it yeah I think it was my problem was my reaction sort of during it which was at some points I actually felt rather bored and I don't say this as someone who is not a big fan of the films I'm a huge fan of the films um I understood some of the fan you know frustrations after The Last Jedi but I genuinely I there were some points in The Rise of Skywalker where I, I was actually was a little bit bored and um we talk about yeah. the film being in the most the most divisive of the Star Wars films. and But I I, I actually watched what, uh, one of the Honest trailers the other day, specifically for the film, and it sort of said that United fans who didn't like The Last Jedi and those that did like it, who both didn't really give much of a poop about this one, I just thought it was it was kind of fan service gone mad. So I think that was my main issue with the film. You know these films are supposed to be a continuous arc, and it just felt like, especially after The Force Awakens, it felt like the films were being made up as they went along. They, you know, uh, The Force Awakens set up a lot of questions that were then, many of which were kind of dispatched with entirely by The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker just felt like it was making up a lot of lost ground, and not particularly well, I would have to say, you know, it was sprawling, some of it was a bit sort of tedious. Some of the lasting characters from the original trilogy were kind of brought in just as kind of props, really, in the background, but not given really a lot to do. I just thought the film was incredibly frustrating. And as someone who absolutely adored The Force Awakens and was very impressed by how, in a lot of ways, uh, The Last Jedi was one of the most beautiful Star Wars films and, you know, brilliantly made. I just thought it was a real whimper to end things on.
0: With The Force Awakens, unanimously, it was extremely well-received. I mean, it was mm. an unbelievable box office smash, and everyone loved it because it kind of went across those lines of bringing back the familiarizations that you have with Star Wars. Yes, the story was that of similar to A New Hope, but I feel that it did that to kind of bring everybody back into the franchise to give them those story beats that they've recognized before. But with The Rise of Skywalker, do you feel it went in at a disadvantage already? Um, What's interesting about, we talk
1: about The Force Awakens is, you know, people are very kind about The Force Awakens now, particularly because there were two um, films after it that were fairly, you know, divided fans quite a lot. Um, I think The Last Jedi was, an interesting exercise in the fact that when it comes to the Star Wars universe, you can never really do it right. You can, the force awakens was uh, criticized quite a lot for maybe sort of cleaving too close to the original trilogy. The, the storyline was very death star esque. It was very close to, you know, some of the stuff from a new hope. Um, whereas the last Jedi really did some pretty controversial things that sort of rattled a few fans. Um, I just thought coming into this film, it it sort of tried to connect up a lot of loose ends between real service to fans and sort of trying to post-rationalise some of those more controversial moves to sort of neuter them a bit, which I thought was a real shame.
0: Is there any particular character's arc in The Rise of Skywalker that you feel you would have liked to see go in a different direction?
1: I wouldn't say there was one character that um, I wished had had a, a a better character arc in The Rise of Skywalker. There's probably a few, actually. Um, Finn and Poe would be two examples where there was a lot of promise and a lot of set up for them in The Force Awakens. And then progressively over the next two films, they just seem to have less of an idea um, what to do with them. And while, you know, Kylo's ultimate fate was kind of fairly in line with what we've come to expect from, you know, the Vader and from the Skywalker, the original films in the Skywalker saga. Um, and Rey's ending was kind of controversial, the sort of her adopting the Skywalker surname. At least there was something there. They, they, you'd felt that they'd gone on a journey, whereas characters like Finn and Poe, it just felt like they ran out of steam.
0: Yeah, I can, I can see... I mean, there's so many different ends, I guess, to tie into it. You have, obviously, quite a large supporting cast, I feel, so very much in these films that you did in the original trilogy, to be specific. Uh, you obviously had a larger, I feel, supporting cast in the prequels. Mm. But the one that... I mean, for me, personally, I, I've really enjoyed the the new trilogy, the um the sequels from start to finish. I love the Force Awakens. I liked the way Ryan Johnson took the Last Jedi as well. Um, so for for me, there wasn't really kind of any disappointment after seeing the Rise of Skywalker. I was happy with the resolve of where the character's journey led, and I was happy with what I saw on screen. When you look at it from a different eye if you analyze things and analyze particular stories and characters and where they go and where they don't go. One thing I thought was, I wish there was maybe less of more character introductions into the rise of Skywalker and given more to the characters that we'd already been introduced to previously. Uh, for, For example, like Rose Tico, I feel There was obviously a lot of uh, noise about her character after The Last Jedi. I enjoyed her character, and I feel it was also an opportunity to kind of give her character more depth and more of an arc within The Rise of Skywalker, which unfortunately we didn't get.
1: I completely agree with you. I mean, I was talking about uh, Finn and Poe before. I mean, Rose is another example of a character who was kind of... badly let down in the writing you know having been introduced in the last jedi and i think the who plays are having been subjected to some fairly um you know cruel and you know horrible kind of online bullying after the after the film after the last jedi came out i think that the fact they were still introducing characters in the rise of skywalker was you know is indicative of the problem with this trilogy i think um, it's in the fact that this third film was kind of post-rationalizing. It was trying to make up a lot of ground, and it was trying to sort of make some bits fit together that didn't necessarily go together. I mean, obviously introducing uh, Palpatine in this film and him being having been in the background the whole time, and um, it was a little bit. It didn't really work for me. It was great to have. You know, an older character coming back, and you know, it was fairly menacing his introduction at the beginning of the film, and having Lando there was obviously great as well. But it just felt a little bit like they were making it up as they went along, which you know, you should be doing. That is what you know, being imaginative is. But if you're going to have this overarching story, why, when there's so much money at stake, do they not kind of invest in planning out what that story would be at the beginning across three films rather than? this kind of reactive way of doing things whereby you know you don't make art by committee and you know reacting to fans and then changing a pathway is just not you know it's obviously this is entertainment is you know it's commerce but you should you stick to a vision because you know that's what george lucas did for good and and for ill
0: yeah it's really hard to know what the process was behind closed doors and we've heard uh, various things I mean most people know it's common knowledge that Lucasfilm Kathleen Kennedy set up a story group in I think about 2013 and their whole role was to keep an eye on canon across all forms of Star Wars um, output whether it be the films the comics or the animated series or or anything and then it's also hard to know if there was kind of a a plan in place, like I always call it a Kevin Feige style plan, where he's clearly got a goal at the beginning, in the middle and at the end, and he's got an idea of how they're gonna get there. But at the same time, they allow the directors and writers to add their creative stamp on the films that get them to that final goal. So that's one thing I feel that you'll kind of never know um, unless it's maybe 20, 30 years down the line. But, I mean, you see the characters, they, they all do go through their arc and they all follow their own stories. And I kind of feel the Rise of Skywalker had a few things going against it, especially going into production. They had, what, three, four months less than they had on The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi previously to make the film and make it hit the deadline. And I feel that's sometimes always a thing which goes against films. And it does puzzle me. I know studios have quarters in the same you get in the music industry. Everyone has targets you have to hit when it comes to release schedules. Disney especially, because it's a huge firm with tons of shareholders, so it has things to meet. But if it's for the greater good, I feel you would have got a more... For me, I personally love the film, but I feel universally across um, the board you might have got more of a loved reaction if *The Rise of Skywalker* maybe came out a year later than it did.
1: I mean, I think you raised you raised two good points there. Well, one of them is the fact that this kind of idea, this the story group stuff. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, how aware are you of and how much have you kept an eye on the things like the games, the graphic novels, the Clone Wars TV series? Because I'll be honest. I haven't, and I think that was another criticism of the film, is there was a lot of, it was, you know, paid fan service to the point where if you weren't a really dedicated fan, some of the developments and some of the kind of the leaps and some of the things in the background and things meant very little to you. Obviously there's a sliding scale of how much of a fan you could be. I mean, the other point you make is talking about the delays, I mean, there's, I think, and that, that their impact on the film. I think that you know the main Skywalker, you know saga films, as we call them, rather than the films like Solo, the films like Rogue One, you know those are should be the priority. And I think when those other films start to you know creep into schedules and have a knock-on effect and things, I think that may have had a negative effect on the kind of the core sort of tempeg films in this saga. I personally think that um, however much time it would have taken, I just think they should have just stuck to their guns in terms of what had been set up by The Last Jedi and what had been knocked down by The Last Jedi. I think it was, I mean, to say, is it the most divisive film? Possibly The Last Jedi is the most divisive film. But I think The Rise of Skywalker is the one that people could probably all agree is a really vivid illustration of what happens if you pay too close attention to what fans want. Because what fans want, giving fans what they want is not always the right thing to do because fans are there to consume. They're not there to structure, to write the story. They are not the artists in this. So, I mean, that's that's my main frustration with the film. I like to, things to confound. I like things to frustrate. I mean, would fans have had can Solo be killed off in The Force Awakens? I very much doubt it. But it was a very powerful, dramatic development. Um, So, you know, I just think fans aren't always right.
0: Yeah, completely. Uh, Fans aren't always right. And um, one thing that you touched on there, which I think is a very interesting topic and a big talking point for a lot of people is obviously the return of Palpatine. Um, his presence within this story and how that return worked out in a grand scheme. Now for me, Palpatine is a fantastic character and really, I mean, I would have loved if we kind of knew of his, which I feel is, was in Abram's first drafts for force awakens that we were going to get hints of Palpatine being in the story from the beginning. And I kind of wish we had, because he's obviously a brilliant bad guy one of the best if not sometimes better than darth vader but what was kind of your feeling of palpatine's execution and the thought of his return in this film
1: i mean the first scene when you see him it was genuinely pretty unnerving i think he's a fantastic character and if you know if he was there in early drafts of the first one they should have stuck to that really and kind of alluded. to. To his presence, say like Thanos in The Avengers, just so that him suddenly turning up in the kind of the third film of the trilogy wouldn't feel like a bit of an afterthought and a you know an attempt to sort of steer things back to the old ways. Um by the time he turns up and by the time it's him trying to bring you know encouraging Ray to strike him down, we're right back in kind of Return of the Jedi territory. So it did feel quite familiar at that point i mean he's a great character um obviously he's one who is present throughout all of you know all the films um, the original trilogy and the um, the prequel trilogy so it was good to have him there i just felt perhaps if it hadn't felt like a little bit of a kind of afterthoughts to have him come back that was my main issue
0: yeah, I think um, when you're talking about when you first see him, I think visually, uh, I was a massive fan in the... I think it's called Exegol, the Sith planet. I I love the visual aspects of that planet and um, the way they delivered Palpatine kind of as this kind of decaying Sith Lord um, or Sith Emperor at that time. I kind of wish actually we spent more time there, uh, kind yeah. of going into his relationship with Kylo, if that could have been explored more. I think that was a very interesting relationship from the get-go. Is there parts of this film that, because obviously you you were very divided by your reaction watching it and after the film, but is there elements of the film or parts of the film you really enjoyed or wish there were more of?
1: I think um, genuinely from The Force Awakens onwards, Kylo Ren has been for me, one of my favorite characters in the whole thing. I mean, I think um, Adam Drive is a very different actor and to have his kind of skill set in a film like this, I think he's just presented a very different kind of villain. I think when The Force Awakens came out, people just described him as this sort of emo, dark lord. I think he's a fascinating character. Um, But he kind of achieved a bit of an arc, an ending to that arc in this film but not necessarily best served. I think he fantastic in it at all times. I think he was genuinely um, a great actor and a very kind of interesting presence.
0: And where did you sit with his redemption? Is it something you thought was definitely going to happen or something you thought you were happy to see when it did happen or would you have preferred him to go a different route?
1: I think by with something like that, where these traditions and this kind of law has been set up, you can either play into the traditions or you can subvert them. And by the time we got to that point in the Rise of Skywalker, it was clear that most of them are going to be respected. So I I expected the redemption element to happen. I was pleased with that, or I was satisfied by that. I would think the, the Knights of Ren got a pretty short shrift and I think having been sort of teased for that time which I know is a very big deal to very big fans of Star Wars and some of the sort of offshoots of Star Wars um, was a was probably a little bit of a disappointment.
0: Yeah well I think we all wish we saw a bit more of the Knights of Ren but that is something again I don't feel that any other of the the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy has been so accompanied by books and comics which are outlaying more information about certain characters and certain story points they're like filling everything out even with the novelizations that come under after each film I feel that the Knights of Ren are something that really lost out to that
1: but there was a lot of supplementary material for this film uh, more than most and I just think is does that not a clear sign to you that they perhaps felt some kind of threads were not tied up, some elements of the story were shortchanged, um, and you know, some explanations were necessary. I just think that's probably indicative of the failings of the story as much as it is to do with a commercial opportunity.
0: Yeah, and I well, I also feel that it's something which is of the time. It's a very much in terms of the original trilogy, we didn't need continuous expansion on every kind of storyline and where everything will go but in this new era and how the fan base is set up now everyone kind of seems to want to have every character's arc and story explained which is obviously completely understandable for you know films especially when this is connected to a 40-year story but I feel the, the demand of a particular group of the fans these days is, <laughs> I feel it might be kind of impossible to please in some aspect. But I feel it's where Star Wars is going to champion, as we've seen with the Mandalorian. I, I feel that there is really going to be a breath of fresh air when they step away from the Skywalker saga.
1: I definitely agree. I mean, The Mandalorian, I'd am i be honest and probably going to disappoint a lot of people by saying I haven't watched that many episodes yet. Um, but given what we're experiencing at the moment, uh, I've got a lot of time on my hands, so we'll be able to do that. I do think that perhaps in some ways it's a slight albatross in terms of furthering, you know, the universe and going into, in search of different stories. Um, I think that... Um, Mark Hamill has already said that he would—he has kind of served the story. His character has been served. He's done his part, so he wouldn't appear in future stories. So it'll be interesting to see where uh, things go in the future. People obviously have a lot of affection for the, for these um, for these films, and it'll be interesting to see if there are bold gambles that are made that really jump away from that from that original those original characters and worlds and whether fans will still feel as territorial about those things
0: yeah very much and you know the films are, are a very obviously disney plus have a platform now that we can put out the series we got the mandalorian you're getting the obi-wan series you're getting the cassian and series and i'm sure you'll get a whole plethora of other series that come from the star wars universe that will debut on disney plus but one thing we know they won't shy away from is still having the star wars event films come into the cinema now like however people have reacted to this new trilogy i mean the three films part of the trilogy have still made just under 4.5 billion dollars which is a ridiculous amount of money so in terms of financial standpoint they're still a huge success but coming into obviously the fold of cinema now now we're a bit more knowledgeable we know there's still a ryan johnson trilogy we know now confirmed there is a kevin feige film and we also know there's a taika waititi film going from the first bat with ryan johnson for me personally he is a great filmmaker. We've seen that. I, I feel we've seen that with the Last Jedi, and we've seen it with Looper, and we've seen that with Knives Out. He's got a brilliant. He's got a great style, and he's got a great way of executing it. Is this still something you are looking forward to in terms of a Ryan Johnson trilogy? And if so, is there any particular things that you feel he should tackle, or where you would like to see that go?
1: Uh, I think uh, Ryan Johnson is a great filmmaker, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he would do um it would be interesting to see though whether commercially as you get closer to the release of you know one or more of those films what you know what reactions and what um kind of caution fans uh show having some of them having had their fingers burned by the last jedi i think the interesting thing that's worth flagging at this point is that when it comes to the star wars franchise there there are frequently a lot of commercial decisions and business decisions that are made to do with the filmmakers making the film i'm i know that you're a big fan of solo and i know solo was a film that originally was supposed to have the directors of 21 jump street and after the somewhat way through production their comedic touch was sort of not looked on particularly favorably and they were replaced by ron howard so and that film as well is kind of considered in the the context of Star Wars to be a bit of a dud. By anyone else's standards made a huge amount of money. But in terms of Star Wars, it was probably kind of the one of the, the, probably the weaker offspring. Um, I think it's interesting that Star Wars doesn't have necessarily have as much patience for the left field and the controversial as some of their initial decisions would have you believe. So I'd be very interested to see how this pans out in terms of um, future films. I think we've seen other franchises, um, you know, directors who are slightly kind of indie credentials. Colin Trevaro doing um, Jurassic World, having only done the the film Safety Not Guaranteed, is a prime example. And Rowan Johnson's not a prime example. But it would be interesting to see what the you know the business studio heads and the fans think of these decisions as the films come a little bit closer into fruition
0: i kind of feel that their approach now especially with the announcements they've made recently taika being one of them and kevin feige being the other that i feel they very much plan to release a ryan johnson trilogy but i feel it's going to take a second position in terms of release schedule wise and they're going to go f- they're going to go down the route of trying to hit home runs first and bringing in someone obviously like Kevin Feige, which he brings this obviously amazing ethos when it comes to making films. And we can see that by the way that infinity war and Endgame ended yeah. up like a 23, 22, 23 story, uh, film arc that all comes together perfectly. And they don't really miss many beats when it comes to Marvel. So you can see where that kind of comes from. And I very much wouldn't be surprised if it works out that Kevin Feige's Star Wars film ends up to be Taika's Star Wars film. Kevin Feige just helms the producing for a trilogy, whether it be a connective storyline or standalones, which he's obviously brilliant at doing standalones that all come together in the end anyway. That's something which interests me because I kind of feel... I mean, it's a perfect way for them to turn. Really, when you talk about big franchises and big intellectual properties like Star Wars, Kevin Feige is a route that I think a lot of people would feel is kind of the best decision you can make coming out of the gate.
1: Well, having m- me having made the kind of criticism that the 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 latest trilogy didn't really have the continuity and the kind of joined up and the overarching thinking, I'd have liked. I think Kevin Feige kind of a master of spinning plates and that forward planning is a great appointment. Um I'd be really interested to see whether Rian Johnson ultimately ends up doing that trilogy. I mean, we have to also bear in mind that at one point the the showrunners I uh, thought the writers on Game of Thrones were going to be involved in the trilogy and, you know, it was strange timing to me that in the wake of some pretty negative reviews and fan backlash around the last series, um, perhaps a little too much uh, negative heat around them, that their their appointment suddenly sort of slipped away. And I think creative differences maybe were cited, but I'm sure it didn't escape your attention either.
0: Not at all. That's one thing that comes with, I think, what people forget is films like TV series, in the development stages, so many things can change. And really you can, isn't it prime example, one of a perfect story you can always allude to is the story of, I don't know if you know this, but the film Anchorman with the original script from Will Ferrell was a bunch of Anchorman being stranded via a plane crash of having to fight wolves and polar bears for survival and try not to start eating each other. That was the whole comedy plot for the first Anchorman film, which was obviously changed considerably to what was see
1: Um
0: So, I mean, that is a perfect example of how many times things can change in development. But what you get these days is you get a microscope on franchises like Star Wars that are so the pop culture icons so every time there is a director writer uh, even story change people like oh my god you know they've lost the plot again they don't know what they're doing just people just have creative differences don't they but also yeah we don't know it could have come from either side those guys either saw the reaction they had from game of thrones and then maybe saw the reaction ryan johnson was getting initially from the last jedi and we're like we don't want to do this again you know because i uh, guess there's a lot of pressure and a lot of heat that you have to take for some time and mm. if you make a good movie yeah so it can you know it can come from both sides can't it and it can also come as you can tell from the head honchos going well that didn't really turn out well with how they handled that intellectual property at the end maybe this was the wrong decision
1: well it's interesting it, it's 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 hard to know whether it's this sort of slightly the stories of a sort of troubled birth of a film, or whether taking these, you know, moving away from the characters or the the actors we know and love is responsible for films not doing as well. You know, going back to Solo, it was a film that had a troubled production. It was a film in which Ron Howard was brought in very late on, and I think they had to completely recast their villain. and Paul Bettany ended up playing the villain in the film. Um, and I don't know. They they it, it was hand Solo, but it was not played by Harrison Ford, and fans reacted accordingly. It was not that they it was not the success they were expecting, and actually probably was responsible for those kind of sideline offshoot Star Wars films kind of being um, curtailed for a while.
0: Yeah. Well, also I feel Solo was really unfortunate in terms of when it was released they obviously they made the changes and it's another one where they had to keep to the release date for some reason which was the May bank holiday but unfortunately it was the May bank holiday after The Last Jedi which obviously split fans straight down the middle and then another Star Wars I think it just came too soon I feel if you had Solo released a year after The Last Jedi even just slightly, or the May the following year, so nearly a year and a half, you would have probably seen a film take half a billion or more because there's so much time. And I know people have the thing of it's not Harrison Ford, so it's not Han Solo in their eyes. But at the end of the day, I, me personally, as you know, absolutely, I really love the film. I love the all the Western style of it. I'm a very big fan of Ron Howard and I thought a lot of the characters really shone. Um, Even the likes of Paul Bettany who came in last minute to fill that role due to other commitments to other actors not being able to play their part in the end due to the reshoots. But yes, that's a film I feel suffered with its release schedule and timings.
1: But it's also, a troubled shoot doesn't necessarily, or production doesn't necessarily mean the film doesn't do well. I mean, Rogue One is a classic example. I mean, probably an even more troubled production than Solo. I mean, the director was pretty much, I mean, I think he was, I don't want to be controversial, say anything controversial, but I think he was pretty much, he was present, but, you know, almost completely uh, directed over by... um, someone who's brought in later in the production and i think there was a lot of uh, the tone of it and a lot of the action was re was redone um, i'm not sure if the the vader section i think that might have been added in later rights in later editions to the writing but that turned into a film that many people consider you know the best even including the, the continuation of the sky wars saga people love um, rogue one so it doesn't always mean... trouble. production doesn't always mean the film doesn't get a good reaction.
0: No, and I feel, I feel what you said there, the Vader scene, I believe that was added in later and ended up, of course, being one of the most iconic film, uh, iconic scenes in any Star Wars film. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember talking to Alex Milas on a previous episode of this and he said how he had heard that in that particular scene they had to make a couple of last-minute changes is because what they originally wanted to do is, he was effectively going to explode people with the force, <laughs> which I uh, mean, supposedly Kathleen Kennedy came in and went, "That's ah, a bit too much for us." <laughs> which yeah, I, I mean, find quite funny.
1: I mean, there are parameters to anything that would have been, you know, <laughs> that would have been great. I, I guess maybe a bit, a bit much. But I think that, I think that bit. Maybe sounds a bit intense, but it was great to have a scene of him kind of exacting the sort of malevolent behavior that was threatened, but rarely seen in the original trilogy.
0: And obviously what we get now is we get this, which I really love, is this kind of clean slate. And I feel that everyone can take a step back from their keyboards for a bit, because obviously the fandom for me personally has been something which has tainted Star Wars. A little bit in, in not a not very good way, so I'm really hoping with the kind of clean slate that we have now, where we can tell new stories with new characters, people are going to take a step back from the keyboards and we kind of can enjoy the films a bit more.
1: Perhaps TV is the is the form that takes the Star Wars um, franchise forward because you you know you have longer narratives and the ability to build out worlds and to build out storylines in a way that is kind of you know less finite than a film.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is something I've touched on before, which obviously loads of people get it right because there's so many well-loved films in the world and there's obviously so many disliked films in the world. But it will always be easier to tell a story over eight to ten hours than it will over two. Because especially with a series when you can then have multiple series like we have with the mandalorian you can expand on pretty much every fringe character in there so you Mm -hmm. really understand that character's motives as well as that character's arc i feel that might be something that really wins everybody back over i mean it's a shame we're having to win people back over but that's the where we sit at this point in time in the star wars fandom but with the obi-wan series i know ewan mcgregor is very much well loved um, within the Star Wars fan base, and his arc in the prequels was for me one of the best arcs during that trilogy of films and I feel we're going to get a lot more than people think from the Cassian Andor series as well. Yeah I think there's I mean there's so much
1: so many opportunities to tell new stories and the thing that's kind of infinite in all this is the universe that this is all set in and planets we've never heard of and characters and species we've never heard of so there is all the new terrain for new stories but will the lack of familiarity be a strength or a weakness i think is the the thing to think about even in solo we kind of there was the cameo from Darth Maul and, you know, there's these these things that remind us that all these things are connected up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a definite risk because it's a territory that Star Wars has never really gone before. Um, apart from obviously in the books and in the comics, I feel that what we're going to see is still going to have a lot of elements that we currently have now I believe you're gonna always have a story which in some way has Jedi or Siths um, or the Republic or Old Republic as it were the formations I feel that's kind of where it probably will go it will go into the past maybe rather than into the future so you kind of know what's coming even if it's hundreds of years in the future but i feel you will have a lot of similar traits especially for the first so many films because i feel they would want to tread lightly but yeah as you pointed out i feel something that they're going to make sure that happens is familiarity within those films and within the series
1: i mean the truth is the name star Wars above the door should be enough but i understand that these are This is art and commerce pretty firmly intertwined. So, you know, there are the idea of these these new enterprises, as well as telling stories, is to make some money. So it's 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 always important to guess to keep one eye and one ear to the commercial side of it as well.
0: And also we have like other things coming up, which we've touched on a couple of times, but Taika Waititi obviously getting his own Star Wars film. I don't know about yourself, I mean, but a lot of people, very big fan of Taika from his independent films to his kind of reimagining, should I say, of Thor Ragnarok, uh, or Thor, the character, and how that played unbelievably well going into Infinity War and Endgame. Is there something you would like to see Taika tackle when it comes to, particular stories or where he could go, or are you just kind of happy to see what any every ends up coming up with?
1: Um I really like taika's films. I think he's a great filmmaker. Um I'll be honest, I uh I much I thought Thor Ragnarok was fantastic, but jojo Rabbit was a complete I'm completely bamboozled by people's love for um but this is not the forum perhaps for that discussion. But what he did with Thor Ragnarok was fantastic. He made it um, into a comic book film in the, you know, the truest sense. He added this kind of neon, this kind of retro feel to it. He added um, this comedic touch that made Thor, who, you know, is a, a god, but was perhaps one of the least interesting Marvel characters up to that point and gave him one of the, I guess, one of the top, probably for me, one of the top five of the, marvel films um so i'd be really interested to see how he brings a unique styling which i definitely think he has but similarly the sense of humor that he has he's a, he's a very funny guy and he writes in a funny way so it'd be great to see a bit more of that humor back in the films
0: and is there anybody else that hasn't been announced yet or even well, they might have been alluded to we don't know but is there any directors that you would love to see brought into a uh, Star Wars a film and have their own take on it in the stories to be written in the future. The person
1: who kind of, I was just thinking when we were having the discussion earlier um about, this, you know, these problems with franchises aren't restricted to just Star Wars. You know, the person I was thinking was probably Denis Villeneuve, who obviously did Blade Runner 2049. But, you know, thinking of that um, also goes back to the problem. The problems of Star Wars ventures aren't just to do with Star Wars. I mean, look at a film like Blade Runner, which for years people have been calling for a sequel to, and then when the sequel comes out, people just don't turn up to the cinema to see it, which is extraordinary. Um, But I thought he made a fantastic film, and he has a very interesting... um He's an interesting storyteller. He, he stayed very close to the themes of the first Blade Runner. He's obviously doing Dune now, so that's someone who would be very interesting but i don't know i think i think that sometimes these appointments of smaller directors into these films can be kind of king making roles rather than necessarily pushing the boundaries of um the star wars films i mean i think run johnson probably pushed it about as far as it could go with the last jedi for good and for bad so I, i'm not sure that will necessarily be the same way again but it remains to be seen
0: Yeah, very true. And I'm a massive fan of his work, Villeneuve's work. I still absolutely love the film he did, Arrival, with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, well, that's one of my favourite original science fiction films in quite a long time, uh, watching that. And I very much also loved Blade Runner 2049. And like you said, it was really puzzling the box office take from that film because it wasn't a film that was even heavily criticized it was a film that quite a lot of people enjoyed and quite got a positive critical reaction to it as well visually it looked absolutely stunning the cinematography is just beautiful to watch in that film but yeah people for some reason people just didn't turn up to the cinema to watch it
1: i mean it's one of those be careful what you wish for things, isn't it? People have been asking for a sequel to the film that was made in 1982 for years. And, you know, when you deliver a beautiful blockbusting film that kind of ponders existence and the nature of reality and love, um, you know, people just don't go and see it. (laughs) It's, I mean, you, you wouldn't make that mistake again, would you? And you'd be very cautious about doing it. It was a, a, you know, a huge budgeted art house film. And, You'd love to see more of them, but if people don't go and see them, then they're not going to get made.
0: Yeah, it's very true. And it it kind of leads perfectly. I know, obviously, this is a Star Wars podcast. We chat about Star Wars every single episode, but we like to, you know, go off in different sections to different bits of pop culture and entertainment. And we were talking before this about remakes reboots which is Mm. a common thing in hollywood now it will happen every single year with so many properties uh one thing that you brought to my attention which has been doing the rounds now for the past few weeks is a possible remake of jaws which is (laughs) i i don't want to be the person in that director's chair even though i'm sure a lot (laughs) could probably do it justice but where do you stand on that type of thing especially with a film so iconic as jaws um
1: fundamentally i disagree with it um but if you know the thing you have to think about is if you're going to approach something like that you go back to the original novel which in a lot of ways was very different to Spielberg's film rather than trying to remake Spielberg's film which is you're never going to be able to do i mean the limitations when jaws was made you know the Faulty shark that you know reacted badly to seawater, so it was replaced in many shots by moving docks and jetties. And you know, the music and this foreboding that sense of tension, that sense of not playing its hand for a long time was what makes, apart from fantastic performances, a great script. But if you were going to approach it and if you have to, which it seems from these persistent rumors that someone feels they have to then perhaps it's worth going to the novel and looking at that rather than remaking the film.
0: Yeah, obviously the Jaws novel is very different to what we end up seeing on screen, which obviously completely worked. And yes, uh, I always forget those stories of how the mechanical shark just pretty much stopped working a majority of the time and they ended up using, well, very tactically, firstly they had the amazing score which allowed them to do so much more and then I think wasn't it using like those um water drums or oil drums that they put in the water? yeah uh, water dragging oil, that along walker, yeah. I think that was the thing they used a couple of times so you could kind of sense where the shark was but yeah you can there's obviously still a interest in shark films prime example even though everybody didn't think it would but the Meg which was I mean went from development to development to development and then finally got made and made half a billion dollars at the box office so there's there's definitely an interest isn't there I mean but when it comes to Jaws is it's I think recasting is going to be one of your your biggest things which is first going to get questions going and get people's imaginations running in either a negative or positive way is there any kind of things in your head which would lead to ideas for recasting
1: here's what's interesting about that I mean, if you're thinking, for me to think about the casting, you'd need to think about it as being solely a remake of the film as it was, and those kind of characters being following those similar tropes, Um, the thing I'd say before any kind of casting suggestions is Um, obviously Jaws gave way to a lot of these kind of monster movies, but these kind of, you know, killer animal movies and monster movies, but they just lacked the kind of the depth of Jaws. I mean, you have to remember Jaws is a film that is about, you know, it's about the fish out of Water Cop, who's from the big city who comes there and is out of his element. It's about the bureaucracy of a mayor who is just money minded and ignoring fact, which has some serious repercussions during the era of coronavirus and he's actually been may have worn's has actually been used in a lot of memes at the moment um, and he's also got the features the uh, Indianapolis speech delivered by Robert Shaw which is uh, it's absolutely extraordinary, you just don't get things like that in the Meg, I don't mean to seem flippant but it's not the kind of thing you get that being said I mean I would have if you were going to follow the characters as they were in the film, there are people that I think might work for those roles. Obviously, Chief Brody is this kind of straight shooter, this man slightly out of his element. Particularly when they were comparing scars, and um, Hooper and Quint have both got these sharks you know, bites, thresher tail scars all over their bodies, and he's got looks at his appendix scar at one point. He's this kind of very straight city guy. Um, there are a few actors who deliver that kind of role better than, say, Tom Hanks. Um, yes. uh, although if you were going to go for a slightly different bit of casting who's an actor who's done, who's done brilliantly in straight roles over the years someone like Steve Carell could perhaps work in a role like that um, I think someone like Quint is a very towering role and you know quite an, an intimidating one that I could think of who'd be great for that role is Ed Harris who is one of my favourite actors and a real yeah, a really brooding intense actor i think he'd be fantastic for that um Hooper's a weird one in that i feel like when i was thinking of this i was trying to think of someone who kind of has those comedy chops and you know physically uh, you know there was the story about i think um on set robert shaw used to really goad richard dravis about being fat and about being this sort of TV or film actor rather than having the kind of chops to be a comedy actor. So, I mean, I was thinking of someone like John C. Riley for the Hooper role. I thought he would be great. And in terms of Mayor Vaughan, who we touched upon before, obviously, um, I am a huge, huge fan of the actor and playwright Tracy Letts. He played um, Henry Ford II in Ford vs. Ferrari. He wrote um, Killer Joe and August, El County. And I just think he has that kind of that sort of subtle gravitas but also that persuasiveness um, that would be great for a role like that.
0: Yeah, funnily enough, um, I actually had Tom Hanks for Brody as well because I I feel, I mean, I don't feel there's many roles that Tom Hanks can't do, to be fair. He really is, I feel, the actor of a generation. Um, But yes there there's some perfect choice ed harris absolutely love ed harris i feel he's almost giving one of his best performances in the Westworld series if you've seen that especially in the most recent series where he really has to play multiple kind of variations of himself and his character in so many different points in that character's life it's kind of like a acting workshop or yeah, to kind of watch him sit there and do that, um, and I kind of somebody somebody from the Danny McBride ilk. I thought maybe Seth Rogan would, or Jonah Hill would step into the Hooper role, especially. Obviously, we could, Jonah's done those serious beats. I feel it to the same extent that John C. Riley has recently as well, more so uh, as we know than Seth Rogan and mm-hmm. then. I feel for the mayor, I never pronounced this guy's surname correct, so forgive me, but Vincent D'Onofrio. Diof- Dinof- Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, yeah. He's,
1: yeah, he's great. He's a great, great, a very kind of intense brooding actor as well. I tell you one thing to think about with your cast interest around Hooper is that I believe in, in the novel, Hooper actually ends up having an affair with Brody's wife so I think there's kind of that you have to have that kind of mind towards you know that tension who would work in that kind of dynamic if you were going to follow the novel more closely than Spielberg's film did obviously.
0: I kind of feel that you could get away with putting Chris Hemsworth in as Hooper I don't know if that's way too I, I don't think that. Too, much, a of a, too
1: much of a dreamboat come on that's <laughs> surely surely too much for a dream boat i mean i mean no disrespect to sort of marine biologists but i don't think many of them look like chris hemsworth
0: i don't know you could beard him up and uh, make it not very uh, a very unkept beard but i know he'll probably pull that off as well won't he um (laughs) way too much of a dream boat in that particular instance i feel very much so i don't know what i was thinking but that's probably gets shot down in development discussions very early on
1: (laughs) I'd love to see it, though. I mean, I'd love to see it. It would be extraordinary.
0: It would be an extraordinary remake because it's such a film of iconic proportions in so many ways. Um, But, I mean, one thing that's interesting, I've spoken about this before on uh, this podcast, but I feel it's just because it's a conversation that keeps on rumbling. We talk about remakes, and especially we've spoken a lot about re-edits the Snyder cut of Justice League which is something which seems to be getting more and more vamped up I thought initially it was just one of those things that oh we wish we had Zach's version and and that would be the end of the discussion and stop then like a couple of years ago when the film came out and now the most recent story is there's actually it's a thing and it's made and it's coming hand in hand with the launch of uh, hbo max in america i mean it's i when i
1: i've seen a lot of people mentioning the snyder cut and i did wonder whether it was something they really wanted or it was something that had to exist is the only thing that could help sort of mitigate people's Disappointment with Justice League, which was, let's be honest, pretty terrible. Zack Snyder is not really one of my favourite directors. He's not particularly; he doesn't really do any kind of subtlety. But these, you know, this is not the film for that. I'd be intrigued if there was another cut because, again, you've got a franchise with so many characters so beloved, and they were so shortchanged in this kind of massive, noisy. Uh, sort of dark and I mean dark in terms of the, the colour of the screen, you know, in terms of visibility film that I don't really think did justice to any of the characters or to the audience that were watching it
0: Yeah very. it, it was a, a very uh, it was a weird situation it was obviously a very sad situation um, in terms of what happened to Zach's family Absolutely um, but it but then it resulted in these very different creative differences and changes that came obviously from the boardroom rather from on set. And then what we got in the end was a real mishmash of multiple stories that neither one really seemed to pan out. Um, but it's kind of it's something that's quite interesting, especially in this market as where we are sitting now with how films have been releasing recently. We had the Universal having a war with cinema chains in America, saying they were going to put more big titles straight on demand. Um, do you think it's something that would be financially worth it, or do you think it would be worth it in more of a marketing side of things? Because if we're going to see a Snyder cut, then there's going to have to be edits, and there's going to have to be visual effects, right? And you, I can't see something like that hitting a bill of anything less than fifty to a hundred million dollars.
1: Um, and it depends what I, what stage stage of finished. When people say it's a thing that exists, of, I mean, looking at the receipts for Just League, is it justifiable for them to go and look at that? But I've been re- also looking at recently the fact that. Um, Christopher Nolan is pretty adamant that Tenet, his latest film, come out in July, um, which sort of provokes a bit of a discussion between a few friends of mine about whether home releases and about whether these films should... um, Cinema is the only, the first and foremost, the only place we should be seeing them. And I just think, at this point, these are fairly extraordinary circumstances, and I just think um going back to the cinema seems you know like it seems still to me I don't know about to you it seems like something that is still a long way away and not necessarily I'd be skipping back to do just thinking logically um and I think what is it to do with losing money is there any reason that we couldn't during these pretty uncertain times be treated to some of these films in our homes first. You know, why why can't we do that? Where where are the losses financially? What is the business decisions behind that? If you think audiences first, you know, some of this stuff is about the long game. Obviously you have investments in certain films, but we're talking about, you know, loyalty to franchises, loyalty to, you know, filmmakers, and I just think it would be good to have a few more of these big films. I know there have been a few, like The Invisible Man's been available to rent um, during this home release, but I just think when it's not practical to have films in cinemas, which it absolutely isn't at the moment, um, No Time to Die, the latest bomb was pushed back to November, will we all be flooding into the cinema in November? At this point, it's impossible to say. Why can't we say, let's just have this film for the price of going to the cinema on home release you know extraction the new chris hemsworth your favorite um his film (laughs) came out on netflix and uh you know apparently some ridiculous 80 million households or something watched it if you convert that into the kind of the cost of watching that film i mean would you pay would you pay 15 pounds at home to see tenet or no time to die at home i'd probably pay twice that to be honest so, I mean, there's got to be a new model and, and some sort of flexibility for how we release films. And I think that studios aren't really taking advantage of it or exploring it as fully as they could.
0: Yeah, I think it's something which definitely now needs to be looked into. I Obviously, like yourself, we've uh, you probably feel that I know I do, that there are some films that you feel that you want to see at the cinema because they're event films and you feel a big screen is the only way for them to tell their story. But I don't feel that's the case, obviously, for a lot of films that come out these days. And, I mean, a perfect example, why Universal has spoken about releasing the latest in the Fast and the Furious franchise on home cinema is they did recently now this isn't a critically acclaimed film or a film that probably me and you are going to sit down and watch anytime soon but the animation sequel to trolls which i think is called trolls world tour Mm -hmm. um, made over a hundred million in under two weeks on home release and that is like you said it was charging effectively a cinema ticket for you couldn't rent the film you could only purchase it for i think something like between 15 and 17 pounds which is what any adult who's taking their kid to see that film is probably going to be paying anyway. And it to be fair, it's probably going to be cheaper because they're not having to pay for the food and they're not having to pay for the kids. Um, yeah. So I feel, yes, there's so many films out there which could very much benefit from a home release. Uh, like you said, The Invisible Man is one thing. Um Disney's, and Pixar's onwards obviously came to the streaming service a lot earlier than it was supposed to. And obviously everybody's like, like yeah, James Bond in November. Are people going to be flocking to the cinema in November? Don't know. Don't even know if we're going to be allowed to. I guess it's a thing we're learning on a week-by-week basis with mm. uh, what's going to be happening. I think it's
1: baby steps at the moment. I mean, I think, you know, even The Invisible Man, I think had enjoyed a, albeit limited, cinema release but uh, before the outbreak of coronavirus but i do think that um i don't know there is a prestige with the box office the big cinema release and you know the notion of something going what is essentially straight to video although i'm showing my age by mentioning video but you know but a home release doesn't have that prestige and it and i i, I don't know there's obviously a financial factor to that as well but i do think that the studio's you know, we are a lot of people in across different areas talking about this being a new normal. And I think in terms of entertainment, when people are at home, when people are looking for things to watch and, you know, constantly there's an a constant appetite for things to watch. Some of these studios should be taking some chances. Um, and it would be I think it would be interesting to see how people would react to studios taking those chances and what that would mean for the relationship between filmmakers and audiences in the future.
0: Yeah. And I feel what we're going to see is everyone's waiting. Well, in the industry standpoint, probably people are waiting to see what it means for the first blockbuster release. So something like a fast and the furious, something like a Marvel film, these films that are really earmarked to make half a billion plus at the at the cinema that it'd be interesting to see what that type of film then comes to deliver on a box office platform like will because fast and the furious obviously not from the beginning but from the fifth film or so onwards this is a billion dollar per film franchise
1: yeah and so, I, I think i think it's worth mentioning also that these films make a huge amount of their money is in china i mean the vast majority of their their box office takings is in China and obviously this pandemic having started there at that point that was you know a a big factor in some of these decision making but similarly home platforms in China you know globally there are so many ways for people to access films and entertainment now um I just think we should the studios should be exploring these new avenues and um you know as I say taking a few more chances
0: yeah yeah definitely very much so um well i think that's kind of a great way to leave it there mate thank you so much for coming on and doing this oh ben such a pleasure thank you so much for having me i hope
1: i didn't rattle on too much
0: (laughs) no problem we always like a good rattle on when it comes to podcasts don't worry
1: cheers mate all the best
0: Hi right, guys, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe, and may the Force be with you.